Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. From time to time, we repost one of our favourite episodes. This week, when teenage tennis star Abba Raducanu has just created one of the greatest sporting achievements of all time, our thoughts return to unsung endurance athlete Rob Bell, who we first featured in episode 17. Far away from the TV cameras, Rob also set out to conquer the impossible, and with a team of five friends, he did so. His challenge was to run seven marathons in seven days on seven different continents. Rob Bell, Action Packed is the name of the podcast, and they don't come any more action packed than you. You're a triathlete, an Iron Man, and a swim runner, but 777 was a challenge you've so far set yourself, the biggest one of all. Seven marathons over seven days on seven different continents. In terms of physical and mental torture, this sounds like a real world beater. So I guess the big question is why? Uh-huh. I don't have an excellent answer to why I do any of this stuff. I, I, I honestly don't. And I know that because I ask myself that question a lot. Why do I feel like I need to go out and run? Why do I feel like I need to go and do another race? But seven marathons was a bit different. Seven marathons came about from a group of friends talking really after Christmas in January when it's a bit, everything's a bit slow and everyone's not really done very much for the last few weeks. Thinking about the year ahead and going, you know, what, what can we do? What, what challenge can we set ourselves um, in the year ahead? And one of the guys suggested this. I think he'd, I think he'd read it in, he'd read Sir Ranulph Fine's autobiography. He, he was the first to do it. And so he threw it out there and there were some big smiles and some what type thing. It, it didn't take long for all of us to sort it out in our minds like, yeah, we could do this. We should definitely go and do this. And so to answer the question, um, Peter, I think why is because it was it was a challenge that we all thought would be enjoyable to go and try and achieve and that we felt it would be really pushing ourselves to our limits to go and achieve. And I, But I personally... I get a lot out of that, knowing that I am pushing myself to towards my limits and that I'm not resting on my laurels at all. Both the achievement itself and the work that you have to put in to get to that point at the end. In fact, it's probably more the latter. I enjoy the work that you put in over a period of time, especially if you're sharing that with like-minded people. So what did you do to prepare for it? Was it a special diet, special exercises, anything like that? I've never done any kind of special diet for any of my exercise i mean it's it's appalling sometimes i mean i've been a, a bit chubby sometimes when i've done some of my fastest marathons so no diet is great diet you just go for it eat whatever you want that's not any kind of professional advice that's advice i just give myself but the training was was massive uh, i'd say it was probably six months of, of real dedicated training and that was a mixture of really long kind of slower plodding runs, some speed work on the track, some hill work for strength. But something that we really added into, or I really added into my training regime was strength and conditioning. And I took some advice early on about that. And it was really working my core and working my glutes and working my back to have real strength. And the whole point of that was to try and avoid injuries so that you could run strong and run efficiently and try to avoid injuries later down the line. And it made a real difference. And it was doing a little bit 
every day. I was doing some resistance band work at home every day, two or three times a day, whenever you just had the time. I'd, just, I'd carry these little resistance bands around with me all the time. I mean, sometimes I'd end up doing it on the train if I was going somewhere. Uh, if I was waiting to meet somebody, I might just pop them out and just start doing weird exercises, hold on to a lamppost. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't really care. So the strength and conditioning was a big element that made a big difference. So how did you finance the whole thing? Presumably it was quite expensive, a group of big you were there, and then did you have a physio with you or someone? So how big was the group overall? There were six of us who did the challenge. That was actually limited by the number of people that we could get onto the plane that we wanted to charter to Antarctica. It would have been good to have seven, 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 seven of us doing it, but there are only six seats on the plane to Antarctica. So there were six of us who, who did the run, but we teamed up with uh, a physio who heard about what we were doing and took an interest in it early on. He was actually helping us with our strength and conditioning and some of the preparatory work in in testing our um, lactate thresholds to help us figure out the speeds at which we should be running or the heart rates at which we should be running to be able to keep going for the longest. That was a that was really nice, putting a bit of sports science into our training and into our running as well. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that as an engineer. I love that analytical scientific approach. Talking about it amongst the guys, we we decided that it wouldn't be a bad thing to have him come along because there were some there were some injuries along the way and he helped us with those kind of niggles. He was also doing a bit of a research project through us as well. So for six months every day, we had to do this kind of mental test to see how sharp we were. It was on our phone. You could do it and it, it would just test. It's fairly rudimentary, I guess, but it was a bit of a, a measurement as to how alert we were. So we do that every single day. And then when we're out racing as well, we do it. And you could see it just kind of dropping off as the week went along. But he'd also, before and after every race, he'd be taking different measurements on us, blood tests, saliva tests, all these kind of things to go into his research. Um, but it was helpful for us as well. Sponsorship, did you have any sponsorship or did you finance it yourselves? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't take any cash for sponsorship, but we did have some sponsors who gave us some of their product, mainly uh, a company called One Above, who actually deal with making sure you've got the right nutrients inside you for when you do long distance flights, which we were going to be doing a lot of. So it was basically this effervescent tablet that you pop into the water. And so we were on that all the time. But no, we financed the whole thing ourselves. I didn't go on holiday very much that year. And what were the seven destinations? So we started in Antarctica and we, were, we ran on um, a place called King George's Island. We then did our second marathon in the very southern tip of Chile, a place called Punta Arenas, which is actually where we got the flight over to Antarctica from. So that was all logistical. So that was our South American marathon. Then we went north into North America and ran a marathon in Houston, Texas. From Houston, we went across the Atlantic to London then London to Cairo for our Africa marathon, Cairo to Singapore via a very speedy stop in Dubai, which we almost missed flights on. So we got our Asian marathon in Singapore, and then we finished in a very hot and steamy Sydney. So which was the easiest marathon and which was the toughest? <laughs> I'll answer your second question first. The toughest was Sydney, the last one. And I've got a good theory as to why. Firstly, it was 35 degrees when we got there. That was horrible, actually. Really, really horrible running in that heat. It was, it was all to do with the timing. We got there. We arrived in Sydney at about, I'm guessing, about 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And then we probably didn't start running till about 11.30, 12 o'clock. So we're running stupidly right in the middle of the day. By the time we got to Sydney, it, it kind of felt like we'd done it. 
because there were so many risks along the way with, with injury, with missing flights, with not, not being able to get round. And once we started that first marathon in Antarctica, our clock had started for our time period that we wanted to get the whole thing done in. So by the time we got to Sydney, we actually had a whole day to be able to achieve the seven marathons and seven continents in seven days. So for me personally, I can say that my mind kind of switched off. And, I, and, I, and when thinking back now, I know exactly, I can picture exactly when it happened. I was in the airport, it was all air conditioning. It's like, yeah, we're here. This is great. There's going to be loads of people at the, at the park where we're going to, to go and start running our marathon. This is going to be amazing. Step out the door. It was so hot. It was like a punch in the face. But I remember I'd, I'd kind of switched off and I wasn't that focused. And I think I suffered for that because the whole week, my mind had been quite focused on what I was doing. I was, I was running marathons and I was flying and I was just going to get from A to B to A to B to carry on. But we got to Sydney and it felt like we'd kind of done it. I had all day to run this marathon and I really, really suffered. It, it was so hot. My body wasn't happy with the way I'd been treating it all week. And it let me know at, at that point during that marathon. Um, I won't go into any of the details of it, but there were, there were quite a few stops. Uh, and it was, it was just so hot. So that was the worst. The best, well, the easiest, I can't remember, if you the easiest. Yeah, that was the hardest. The easiest, I think, I think I'm going to say in Punta Arenas in South America, because we'd started, everything was going well. We'd done Antarctica. We were on a massive high from that. And it was, it was actually quite a flat run that we had in Punta Arenas. It was a out and back was the route that we had planned and it was along the coastline you could see dolphins out in the out in the ocean uh, and we had this little we had this stray dog who ran with us the whole way as well he just kind of latched himself onto us and uh, and ran the whole way with us and i was just remember absolutely loving it so that was probably the the easiest and it was quite early on in the week and how did you cope with jet lag i didn't really suffer from jet lag for a week I, I don't think i really knew or cared what time zone I was in, um, it didn't really matter. I was just running and flying. That was it. That's all, that's all I was focused on. Time, what day it was, didn't really matter at all. So I don't think, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't suffer from jet lag. So after you'd finished the seven days, how long did it take to recover? We finished in Sydney. It, we'd kind of planned it. The, the following day was Australia Day. Two of the boys who did it with us are Australians. We were in Sydney, we were in Australia, and all their family and friends were there. And so they planned this big party to celebrate Australia Day and to celebrate the fact that we'd done this set of marathons. And we were, we were the worst guests at a party you could possibly imagine. We, we didn't really want to eat very much because our, our insides just weren't great from all the, I think from all the energy gels and stuff that you take through the week and from just having put your body through so much. A beer didn't, beer just didn't go down very well. I do remember, I think I'd been outside chatting and I came in and three of the boys were fast asleep, two on the sofa and one in the armchair, absolutely fast asleep. So for those first two or three days, I was really, really tired. And then I flew home back to London and that's a horrible flight back from Sydney at the best of times. I know I just, I was so tired. I was so tired for, I think, I think about two weeks and I'd sleep a lot. I don't know. I don't normally nap. It's kind of against my principles to nap, but I napped a lot in those two weeks and I'd go to bed really early and I'd just allow myself to sleep. Yeah, it was, it was an odd time and, and I was actually quite conscious of how I was going to feel when I got back from everything. And so I wanted to make sure that I had some things planned in when I got home so I didn't suffer from this massive hit of the blues from having worked towards this, this big project for a whole year and then suddenly having nothing. But it took me a good two weeks before I felt like I, I was kind of fit and able again. And I probably didn't go for a run for a, mm -hmm. probably a month or so. 
Just going back into the marathons, uh, Cairo was a particularly special one, wasn't it? Cairo was our fifth marathon. It was absolutely amazing. It will always stand out for me. I think a lot of people deemed it to be quite a dangerous destination to go to. There'd been there'd been some terror attacks and we were very conscious of that as well. And we, we talked about it and we decided that no, we, we would do this. Everywhere we went, we um, we sent out invitations for people to come and run with us if, if you want to on our website, come and run with us. And, and, and a few people did in, in all of the locations. But in Cairo, because none of us really knew the, knew the city, we got in touch with two or three running clubs over there. But running in Cairo is very different to running clubs how we know it here. Running clubs are a very, very open thing. They're quite well established. In Cairo, running as a, as a hobby, as an activity, doesn't really exist in, in, in Egypt generally, I think, from, mainly from oppression. And especially women. Women runners have not been able. And I remember chatting to a few of the girls who we met over there, and they said, no, no, we, 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 until recently, we could never go out running. We'd get harassed and yelled at and whistled at in the street. It was awful. So there, there, there are two, two or three of these informal running clubs set up through Facebook. We got in touch with them. And they got together and decided to amongst themselves, put on Cairo's first marathon for know, 30, 40 years for us because we were coming. The guys in Cairo were so pleased that we were coming and that we decided we wanted to come and, and do part of this, this big global event that we were doing in their home city. They set everything up for us. They even came to meet us at the airport. They put on transport for us to get us from the airport to the start point of this route through the city that they had planned amongst these running groups. And when we got to the start line, there were a few people milling around and and we were quite surprised by that. We'd invited people to come and run with us everywhere we went, but you might get two or three people who come out and do 5K with you or 10K. In Cairo, there were, I would say about 100 people when we first got there. But as it edged closer to the start time, there were probably about a thousand people who had gathered in the streets to come and run this Cairo marathon. They had race numbers for us. They gave us um, numbers one to six, and there was all these. There were lots of loud halos and lots of stuff going on in Arabic. We couldn't really understand, and it was it was just this amazing experience to be part of. And and because of the language barrier, we didn't really know exactly what was going on. We couldn't speak to everybody there, but we, we felt like we were part of something incredibly special. And then off we went. And I kind of latched on to a local guy who spoke English. And we ran together, chatting with him the whole way. And if I needed anything, he could go and help me out with it and ask people. I needed the toilet halfway through the marathon. And there aren't really that many places to go to the toilet in the middle of Cairo. I told this guy I was running with, oh, Mina, I need the loo. And he's like, okay, okay, leave it with me. And we're running past this this mosque. It's one of the most ancient mosques in Cairo. There was this old, rather official looking chap who was standing outside. And uh, the guy I was running with went over to him and, and had a word in Arabic. And then came over to me and said, yeah, this is the chief imam. And he said, that's absolutely fine. You can go in. Yeah, that's, okay. So I had to take my shoes off uh, at the street. And it was, it, Cairo is this hectic, hectic city. And there's, oh, there's noise and there's dust. And it's, it's actually quite hard to run in. Step inside the mosque. And it was this beautiful, peaceful, cool serenity. It was, it was amazing. And so I went in and did my business and came back out. And it was this amazing little pit stop that I had halfway through Cairo. And then at the end, there were, there were a few tears, actually, at the end, when we'd, when we'd finished the, the marathon in Cairo, there was, there was a bit of an, um, an emotional overload, I'd say. I don't, I don't think we really quite knew how to take in what had just happened and this, this kind of affection that we'd received from the people of Cairo. And it will, it will always stay with me. Going away from the marathons now, what other sports do you do? So I've always been quite, quite active and quite into my sports. I played a lot of football and rugby. 
Then I got into endurance sports and did a lot of running. So a lot of long distance running, marathon running. I've done a fair few triathlons. So I've done anything from a, a sprint triathlon right up to a, a full Ironman distance triathlon. I love to play golf. I really, really enjoy my golf. I love tennis. I love open water swimming. I'm doing a lot more of that probably than anything else at the moment. Yeah, I like to stay. I like to stay quite active. Where do you go to do the open water swimming? So I live in I live in southwest London, and there is a lake about a forty five minute drive called Shepperton, and it's beautiful. There's a seven hundred and fifty meter loop that you can go and swim out there, and I'm I'm a massive fan of going down there. In fact, I am booked in to go down there this evening, which I can't wait because it's a really really hot day today. Um, they've actually done a lot of work recently to make themselves COVID ready, if you like, so to change the setup a little bit as to how you, now you need to book and there's only a certain amount of people that can come in at any time and very, very well done. And they've and I know a lot of the open water swimming locations have put in a lot of work to be able to, to get those open and ready in this virus-filled time that we live in. So away from sport, what's the day job? My day job is being a television presenter, which I've been doing for eight years now. I, I present documentaries on engineering and science and history. I do a lot of stuff on Channel 5, but I've done stuff on BBC and Discovery and Travel Channel and yeah, all sorts of channels. So I'm a, I'm a freelance TV presenter. So it sounds like a pretty complicated life, fitting in the work between the sport or, or the other way around. It can be. It tends to be fitting in sport around the work, typically. But because I'm because I'm freelance, my work does tend to come in chunks. There won't be much more time in my life for anything other than that project at that time. But if I've got races that I've booked in, they will always, work will have to stop whilst I go away and do those races. What, what becomes quite tricky is being able to do the training that I'd like to do leading up to those races if there is a lot of work on at that time because I tend to be, I tend to be away from home a lot of the time if I'm on, on, on a work project. With, with open water swimming, there's just not always the locations. I'll always do my research before we go away though to see if there are any rivers or lakes or reservoirs or anything that I can go and swim in whilst I'm away. So having done 777, which sounds like the ultimate of all time. Do you have another challenge in mind? I don't think I have anything quite as big as seven marathons uh, that I will ever do. That's quite a difficult statement for me to say, actually. I'm not 100% committed to it, but I'm probably, I'm probably, I'm at least 60% committed to that. Just because that was such a big undertaking, I don't know how I could do anything bigger than that. Personally. Something new that I would like to do next year, it didn't work out this year, is a, is a, a long distance ice skating race, which I think would be really, really fun. Uh, it's up in Sweden. And there's, there's a bit of a challenge with it, actually, at the moment. They've had to, in recent years, they've had to change its location and change the time of year that they do it because of climate change. There just hasn't been enough ice. So that kind of thing could be under massive threat. But I, I, I just really like the idea of going and doing, doing something uh, a bit different in in that sense, but from from a big challenge perspective, I'd quite like to do a long distance cross country ski at some point as well. So it's a slightly different intensity, I guess, of of um, activity than running marathons. But if there were a group of mates who were up for something like that and planning a trip, where we go and do a big a big old trek on cross country skis, I think I'd be quite up for that. So you ski as well, don't you? I do ski. Yes, I'm a I'm a big fan of skiing. So I didn't mention that earlier. I love skiing. I have done. I've been very very lucky. I started skiing as a kid. 
I grew up in France and it was, so it was a little bit easier for us to, to get down and, and go skiing um, every year when I was growing up, which we, which we did. My, my, my parents are quite active and my dad loves to go out on the mountain. Well, both my mum and dad love being out on the mountains as well. So I was, I was very lucky that I was exposed to quite a few different sports as a kid. Yeah. So whereabouts in France did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up just outside Paris for nine years. We moved there when I was nine. So it, it just feels like it's a little bit easier to go skiing from within France than it is from England. Having now as an adult going on my own ski trips over to France or Austria from England, it's a bit more of a faff doing it than when you just pack up the car in France and it's six hour drive and you're, and you're down there. That, that, was, that just seemed a lot easier over there. Swim run is a new thing. Is that a new thing for you? Yeah, so swim runs a discipline that I, I hadn't heard of until about five years ago, four or five years ago. The reason I first heard of it was because there was there's one race brand who I don't know if they came up with swim run, but they were certainly one of the first uh, one of the first organisations to, to to put the, to put it out there as as a as a new discipline as a sport. Tell us what it is. What's what's involved in swim run? So swim run does exactly what it says on the tin. You you swim and you run. Swim run is where you do a series of swims and runs consecutively, and you do it as a team of two. So the best example I can give was the first race, the first swim run race that I did on the Isles of Scilly, where the race starts and you've got about a three kilometer run. And then you're into the water and you swim across to the next island. And then you run across that island and then you swim to the next one. And then you swim and you run, swim, run, swim, run, swim, run. So you're continuously in and out of the water. I love the variation. That's partly what I like about triathlon. You're not just doing the same thing the whole time. It just feels like more of an adventure going in and out of the water the whole time. And it's, it's, it feels more like you're doing this race, but to get from A to B. And I, I, quite, I, I just quite like that. And it, and it takes you places in the world that you wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily go to. And the fact that you get to do it as a team of two is really fun as well. You have to stay together the whole time. And a lot of people actually tether themselves together during the race. And you, you, you put your fastest swimmer out front and you get a little, a tiny bit of a toe. But because you're tethered, you'll be right behind your teammate if you are the slower swimmer, uh, which means you just get this incredible amount of drafting in the water. And it just makes it a lot easier for you. And then even on the run, you can put your stronger runner in front and you can just give the, uh, the guy behind a little bit of a toe. I just, I, I love doing anything as a team. I miss my team sports, not playing rugby and football these days. So it's nice, really nice to combine endurance sports with that team element as well. Are there any sports you haven't ever done that you'd like to try? Yeah, um, a couple of years ago, I did like the idea of getting into kite surfing. And when you're out on the water with your with a big kite on a, on a board, it looked really, really fun. I've, I've kind of lost the mojo for that at the moment, but it might come back. Something else that I thought that I would quite like to do, and I still would, is get a license to be able to go paragliding. I've done a few paragliding flights, but with an instructor behind you. So you're, you're, you're strapped in, you're both on the same wing. But I'd like to be able to go and do that on my own. I, it, it's such a beautiful, peaceful experience being up in the air. And, and I like the idea of being up in the air. I mean, I'd, I'd quite like to get a pilot's license, but before we get to there, that's not really a sport. Paragliding feels like a nice way to be able to fly. I'd, I'd love to be able to fly. It's kind of, a, I'm sure I'm not the only person, but it's kind of a dream to be able to go and fly and experience and see the world from above. And paragliding has just always seemed like a really lovely way to go and do that. I don't think there are any other sports that I'd... I'm really longing to get into, but that might change. That's the beauty. I can't go and play a competitive game of football anymore. I just, I feel like I'm going to get injured doing that. And so I've, I've accepted that. And that, that's, I loved that part of my life. It was amazing. And same with rugby. That was great. I still love 
both those sports. I'm a massive fan of rugby. And I've gone in, got done a lot of endurance sports and marathon. And I, I'm kind of starting to have to accept that I possibly won't do that as much anymore. That's kind of been the last 10 years of my life. I might not do as much marathon running or do it as intensely as I have done previously. I enjoy the fact that there will be this kind of iteration. I'd quite like to start playing cricket. Actually, I'm a, ma- I'm a massive fan of cricket from the last 10, 15 years. I never played it as a kid. Occasionally with friends, we'll go down on the nets and I just love it. And I'll go and watch test matches and listen to a test match special. I'll, li- I'll listen, if I can, I'll listen to five full days of test match special, just have it on the whole time. I can't get enough of it. So I'd quite like to get into cricket, even if it's just village cricket. I love that team sport and it, there's a real excitement being at the crease and facing balls. And I'm not good at it at all. I'd need to get a lot better before I actually went out and played properly. Are there any t- tips for people wanting to run marathons? Oh yeah, good question. My main tip would be if you're going to go and run a marathon, you really, really need to want to do it because that will mean that you will put the time in, you'll put the training and it will mean something to you. Then if you if you can commit to that, I would really recommend finding a training plan there are loads online, but whatever that training plan says, I would also say, make sure you add variety into your training. Don't just go out and hit the pavement three or four times a week, however much it is. Make sure you get some strength and conditioning work in, which you can do at home or down the gym. Make sure you get some speed work in. I, I tend, I've got an, an athletics track, which I can go down to. That has changed my running completely. My long distance marathon running has been massively affected by the short interval training that I've been able to do on athletics tracks and things like hill sprints as well. If you've got a hill near you, try and try and do some sprints up that. So I would say change it up. Make sure that you're not just going out and doing long runs at the same speed the whole time. Vary your running. A, it makes it more interesting. B, I found it, it gives you a different challenge and and C, it's just not as dull, which I find personally just going out and hammering the pavement four or five times a week. I I couldn't just do that. Oh, final one. If you can get someone to do it with you, brilliant. Then you can share that whole experience. That for me has been huge in everything that I've ever done. Rob Bell, many thanks for appearing on our travel podcast. And we wish you the very best of luck in the future on the road, in the water, up the mountain, or even on a village cricket ground. Thank you very much, guys. An absolute pleasure. I look forward to hearing more inspiring stories from some of your future guests. As much as I can, I try and document whatever I'm up to on my Instagram account, which is rob.bell. That's the place to go if you want to see what I'm up to, be it training, be it doing woodwork in my in my back garden, uh, or be it out filming in the Highlands of Scotland about some tunnel somewhere. That's where my life tends to be. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. Just a crazy storm